You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I am your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Leo Babalta from Zen Habits. I'm really excited to talk to Leo. Leo, I followed your work for a very long time. You were an early influence of mine in the practice of mindfulness. I've read your book, Power of Less, and I am uh, most recently promoting a series on mindfulness. So this is going to fit in just perfectly with what all of our listeners and our community have been learning about. So, Leo, welcome. Beautiful. Yeah, no, it's it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm curious. So uh, you are originally from Guam, I read, That's right. and uh, you live in Davis, California. Is that correct? Yeah, we moved. Uh, so I have a, a rather large family. It's my wife and six kids. Nice. Um, we have a Brady Bunch kind of mixed family, but we moved from Guam to San Francisco in 2010. And then uh, just a few years ago, we moved to Davis just to be closer to some family. Wow. Okay. Can you tell me about Guam for for a little bit? I, I don't sure. know much about it. I had one friend from Guam, but I never got to ask <laughs> much about it. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a small island in the Pacific. Uh, it's a it's a territory of the U.S. like Puerto Rico and American Samoa. Um, and so it's a very U.S. like influenced island, similar to Hawaii in that way, but smaller. Uh, tropical, very, very humid. Uh, it was it's Spanish influence as well because it was a Spanish colony for about 300 years, and um, people are like very uh, hospitable, but um, at the same time we just kind of love our little island, um, and it's just amazing. Uh, the water temperature is like 83 degrees all year round, uh, so it's it's quite amazing <laughs> to be there. Wow, uh, sounds like it. Yeah. That's where I started my journey too. So when I started Zen Habits, uh, I was on Guam with my kids and basically changing my entire life back in like 2005 uh, wow. when I was on, yeah, on Guam. Okay, so was it easy? So you were on Guam, mm-hmm. uh, but was it easy to get caught up in uh, kind of American uh, your typical American life there, yep. or I, I assume that yeah. not everyone is walking around all zenned out like they're uh, <laughs> like people <laughs> like imagine. you might imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Like I said, it's it's actually a lot like Hawaii. Um, so if you've been to Hawaii, there's you know you can obviously like just chill out on the beach and just be a, like a a beach bum and just enjoy that life, which is amazing. But most people there are actually very caught up in American culture with regular jobs and technology and shopping and rest, you know, huge restaurants and all of that. So it's, it's like that on Guam as well. And that's basically what my life was like with a little bit of beach thrown in. Um, but yeah, so I, I was overweight, just like addicted to junk food and uh, eating very unhealthy, like American style uh, fast food and things like that, pizza and all of that. Uh, deeply in debt, like shopping too much, online shopping and otherwise. And um, yeah, just totally caught up in what I would call American culture. And there's good and bad of, of any culture, but I definitely was hooked into some of the bad parts of it. Sure. No, it's it's easy to to get caught up. And then did you just have 
uh, a breaking point, or what was what was the catalyst for for? Uh, it sounds like maybe you just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, I you know, like I said, I was overweight and really couldn't make that change. But it wasn't just that. Like I said, I was deeply in debt. I uh, had a, a job where I was working too many hours and not seeing my family. I uh, just I was a smoker. I had all all of these things that I was trying to change. And eventually I just felt so bad about myself that I couldn't change any of it. And I decided I really needed to make a change, not only for myself, but to set a better example for my kids and my wife. And so I finally, yeah, got to a point where like, I, I have to do something basically to save my own life and the life of my family. And so, um, yeah, I, I started making a change. Uh, the first one was quitting smoking. And that was November 18, 2005 was my quit date. And I put everything I had into that one change. I decided just to make one change, and then I could make the rest later. And I finally made that stick. It was, and it was like the eighth time that I tried to quit smoking, and I finally made that stick. And I learned some stuff from researching that. And I started running every day after that, um, and started applying the same ideas to other habits, eating healthier, became a vegetarian, I'm now a vegan. I um, started meditating, I started decluttering my life and simplifying, started writing every morning and waking early, um, started getting out of debt, and that took a while, but I started doing that. Eventually ran a marathon and lost a lot of weight, and then started Zen Habits as a result of all of that change. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you've been a inspiration for a whole lot of people and uh yeah I'm, I personally I'm grateful that you started writing about all this stuff and and paying forward your lessons learned to the rest of the world that's that's pretty cool Leo and I, and I wanted to ask you um so you brought up quitting smoking as kind of the first thing that so many people struggle with but so many people say okay i i know i have to do this i know i have yeah. to change this uh, and we actually have two team members at under 30 experiences our our travel company we're a team of about 20 people now but we uh -huh. have two team members who just in the last couple months um they were fairly new team members and they realized wow there's a a nice emphasis on personal development within our company and within our sure. our community and so they both quit smoking uh but you know this of course quit smoking for the last few weeks few couple months but it's easy of course to fall back into into those habits so i'm curious how you quit smoking and if you had any any uh habits that you created uh that you were then able to apply to other areas of your life yeah no i actually learned a ton about habits and changing uh something like that uh so that i could apply that in in all the other areas of my life uh, one of the biggest ones that I found was you have to have a huge reason to do it because making a change like that, whether it's like starting exercise, which can be very uncomfortable, or quitting something like smoking, it's, you're going to be pushing yourself into discomfort in a way that most people don't like. You know, we, we tend to go towards comfort, uh, which would be like comfortable food that we really enjoy eating, to distractions online and our phones. So that's our mental habit is to go towards a comfort and away from discomfort. And in order to push yourself into the discomfort of quitting smoking or something like that, you have to have a big motivation. And I know that for me, 
I didn't really take it very seriously for the first seven times. And so when I got, came to, when push came to shove, I, I told myself, well, I can do this later. You know, it wasn't that important. So I had to make it much more important to me and make it something that I took seriously, a big commitment and have a strong motivation for it. And so I decided that I was doing it not just for myself, but for my wife who was pregnant and was going to start smoking after the pregnancy uh, or resume smoking if I didn't quit. Um, and then also for my kids. And so I made a promise to my, I think it was my 10-year-old daughter at the time, uh, that I was going to quit for her. And get, making it about something bigger than myself made it much more important, something that I really was motivated to do. And even though I actually um, failed uh, at one point, I got back on the wagon because of um, my promise to my daughter and my wife. So that was a huge one. I also learned um, that smoking fulfills certain needs. Like we think it's a bad habit, but it's actually helping you in certain ways. And one of the big ones was uh, stress relief. And so that need didn't go away just because I stopped smoking. And so like your coworkers who um, maybe do well for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, eventually that need will come back and you need to have a plan for meeting that need in another way, a healthier way. So the need of stress relief is a huge one, or if you're dealing with some kind of huge financial crisis or, or life crisis, or um, maybe you're getting into a big fight with your significant other, how are you gonna deal with that conflict or crisis or stress um, other than smoking? Because that's your default is to go back to smoking. And um, so you need to have another way to deal with that need. So I had to figure that out. And that's, those are things that you don't think about. And you have to think about them when you're strong, not when you're uh, weak and facing the, the urge. Um, another big one that I found uh, really important, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm just like rambling here. No, no, Larry, uh, this is why you're here. <laughs> all right. So I uh, was urges. Urges come up for us like throughout the day. And I, I mentioned online stuff and food and phones. The urge to check your phone and check your email, check your Facebook and eat, eat the French fries or potato chips or whatever it is. Those are just constant throughout the day. And we just follow them blindly because we don't know what a big influence they have on us, what power they hold. And I had to sit there and watch my urge to smoke. Instead of running to it, I had to create these obstacles to go uh, to, to stop myself from running. And when I had obstacles, like I, I threw away all the cigarettes, for example, and I had to go to the store to get the cigarettes if I really wanted to smoke. Because there was that obstacle, or uh, you might call it a moat around yourself, because there's that moat, you actually have to be more conscious and mindful of that urge. And so I would just sit there and watch the urge. And it was how I actually learned about meditation was just I was meditating on this urge just really getting strong and it's so powerful and we just naturally tend to just run towards that urge I, I mean run and as if the urge was a command um, but I just I learned that I could watch it and it was immense discomfort and yet I could actually handle it I had a great capacity to handle that discomfort that I didn't realize was there before so that was an amazing thing was just to see my capacity to handle that urge and the discomfort of it, and then watch it go away because the urge doesn't stay forever. It's just a temporary little thing, you know. Um, and that that ability to watch an urge and to deal with the discomfort actually transferred to every area of my life. It's one of the most powerful 
lessons I learned from that. That that's awesome, Leo. And I had a uh, instance today, and I don't know why that this urge popped up, but uh, well, we probably know why. The urge was to check Facebook, and yeah. it was an urge, and it was you know I had like one minute before my next call or before my next appointment. And I said, I just had this urge to just go on and see what mind, mindless uh, crap was going on on Facebook. And, and I caught myself and I said, no, why would you go on Facebook right now? And, and I, I, I tried to speak as kindly to myself as possible. I wasn't, nice. I didn't actually say, ah, no, you jerk why would you go on facebook right yeah exactly (laughs) i I tried not to to speak to myself like that but i caught it before i went out but could you break down exactly what you do when you see when if someone's trying to be more mindful if someone's trying to quote unquote meditate when they all of a sudden and this can be applied to anything your urge to go on facebook your urge to smoke your urge to eat ice cream whatever it is can you tell me what you actually do when you catch yourself? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. And I love that you caught yourself and you were, you, you really made an effort to be kind because I think what happens is if you do catch yourself, a lot of people um, will, and I was one of them, uh, will be very harsh on themselves. And that harshness actually is one of the biggest obstacles to changing your life. So I love that you, uh, are trying to be compassionate with yourself because that's such a huge skill and it's such a huge gift to yourself. So awesome, Matt. Thank you. Setting that Thank example you. No, for the rest of us. I have to say it's so important, especially uh, growing up in a very masculine society, especially mm-hmm. in playing sports and athletics. And uh, I can remember for years just being in the gym and just beating myself up with negative motivation or negative enforcement right. and uh, i actually want to have my friend i don't know if you know him Man- manish uh sethi he has yes. this this pavlock and i really want yes. to talk to him more about it because i would not for anything shock myself every time i did something wrong it's just <laughs> i think it's horrible but uh yeah well we could talk to him about that, that for people who aren't familiar with it it's it's a bracelet that you wrap you put a lock onto your wrist and it's supposed to shock you if you stick to your goals, like if you check Facebook or I forget exactly how it works, but it'll give you a shock, and it's not a pleasant experience. It doesn't sound like it. Not not my not my style. But but yes, let's go back. So, what exactly do you do when you catch yourself? It so you don't right. shock yourself, Leo. What do you do? <laughs> well, I mean, I, the shocking probably would work, honestly. But it's no, it's not my my method. Um, so. First of all, I, I definitely think you need a moat for Facebook um, or, or whatever it is that you want to do. So the, it's it's such an easy habit to fall into to check whatever it is, you know, Facebook, Twitter, email, you know, your iMessages, whatever. Um, it's so easy to check those things be, uh, when you have like a spare moment, when you're, you know, like there's any kind of break in the day when you're on the elevator. Um, and so since it's so easy it's a it becomes a default uh, mental habit, and so we need to have some kind of moat there, and that could be like deleting the Facebook app from your phone, so that you have to go open your browser and type in Facebook and the browser to get there. Oh, brutal! Uh, 
Yeah. So like that could be one or or maybe you have to just reinstall the app and re-sign in every time that you check Facebook. That's obviously a really big mode and that might not be it. Maybe you just use a certain app to um, stop yourself or maybe you tell all your friends like if you see me check my Facebook messages or post on Facebook um, between these hours then you know, you get IOE $50 or something, you know? So obviously there's lots of ways to do that, but I think a good, having some kind of moat helps at least in the beginning. And the whole po point of that is not to be, um, you know, to, to shock you or anything like that. It's not a negative reinforcement, but it's just to make you pause and say, oh, I'm about to do this to follow that urge because it's bringing that into your consciousness. And you were able to do that, Matt, uh, when you had the urge to check Facebook, but for most of us, we don't notice it until afterward, um, and it's already too late at that point. So it's better to just notice it beforehand by creating some kind of moat. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that. We can get into that if you want. But once you notice it, then that's, I think that's what you're asking about. What do you do then? So first of all, just pausing and sitting still for even a couple seconds, I think that's all it takes. And you pause and you just notice what's going on with you. And you might feel the physical thing in your body of the urge rising up. And for me, it feels like this thing in my chest that gets really strong and um, it could get tight. And it's different each time, but you're just noticing what's going on physically. And that's a form of meditation, obviously. And you can just watch that. And for me, it, it can rise and rise and rise, the urge, and then crest like a wave. And then it just kind of goes away. And then it might come back and then crest again. And eventually it kind of just ripples away. Uh, so you can just sit there and watch that. And you can also notice your self-talk. Like you were uh, kind to yourself, but a lot of people will be very harsh with themselves. And you can just notice that. And you can um, plan to counter that with more compassionate self-talk when you notice the negative self-talk of, uh, you know, you might just say, hey, you know, just be, everything is okay. Um, you know, just wish yourself uh, peace and love and happiness and all those fun hippie things uh, that you might experience if you're living in Costa Rica. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you, you use self-compassion on yourself, especially if there's a lot of pain or a struggle or difficulty. But the main thing is just watching that, not letting yourself act on it. Um, just watching, just sitting there and saying, I don't need to act on it. This is not a command. It's more just of a physical phenomenon that's going on in my body. Okay. No, that, yeah, I, does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really uh, great example. And um, I wanted to bring up another something that uh, you brought up that we could use to an example and kind of work through it a little bit. And uh, so you have your moat, right? And so right. say you are uh, trying not to eat ice cream. And so you don't mm -hmm. keep ice cream in the house anymore. And yeah. uh, you've, in fact, designed your life to live far enough away from the store uh, <laughs> that it's not too easy. And but say say you break and mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't deal with the discomfort. You couldn't just let it go. And you had that. Oh my God! I just need ice cream. And then you get in your car, and it's just that furious four-minute drive to the <laughs> corner store to get the damn Ben and Jerry's, and you're just burning. <laughs> yourself up while you're going and doing that so 
could you talk a little bit more about uh, how someone can kind of fall down uh, and get back up again or be compassionate to themselves and let themselves make a mistake and say, okay, it's, it's just some ice cream. It's not a big deal. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up without an ice cream hangover, hopefully, and be yeah. able to uh, get back, you know, get back on the wagon. Uh, could you talk about maybe a strategy that you, you've used in the past? Yeah, and it's such a good question because I think we can all relate to that. We've all done that driving to the, to the store for ice cream sure. or, or some version of that, right? Sure, sure. After the promising bar, ourselves. Yeah, the bar downstairs or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, sometimes it's French fries. I think that's one of my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. French fries or pizza would be another one. Um and yeah, you know, the interesting thing about those, some of those comfort foods are things that go way back to childhood. And that's how we found comfort when we had emotional difficulty. So the, I think one question, that, there's a series of questions you can ask yourself at that point. And one is, how did I treat myself afterward? Um, and so you, you mentioned, you know, that harshness that we can have on ourselves. So can we see this as an opportunity to start being kinder to ourselves? Yeah, we messed up, but who doesn't? I mean, how human is that to mess up like that, right? Um, And so if we can start to form that uh, skill and that mental habit of being kind to ourselves, and that doesn't mean just like justify all of our uh, mess ups, but instead of justifying it more of like, oh, I just messed up here and it's easy to be very harsh on myself and now I'm just going to be more compassionate understand that I was going through a difficulty here and reaching out for the ice cream was actually a loving act toward myself. Hmm. Um, And I might see it as like this horrible thing that I just did, but actually I really wanted relief to my pain. Whatever it was that caused me to run to the the store and it could just been really strong cravings or maybe I was just stressed out and I really needed that ice cream or maybe again I was having a fight with somebody or somebody made me feel bad about myself. That pain is real and this is your strategy for doing it, for dealing with that. So you can see that you are actually being loving towards yourself. And just acknowledging that and being kinder towards yourself is such a huge thing to do. That, that that's the, to me, that's a huge opportunity is after the eat the ice cream and start beating yourself up, can you use this as an opportunity to start being kinder? That's the great. second thing, yeah, the second question is what is the need that that was meeting. Again, I mentioned all of the pain that you might have been dealing with or it could have been stress. That need is real. And what is a more loving way to deal with that need? And maybe ice cream was has been your strategy in the past, but can you come up with another strategy? Maybe you need to like meditate or do some yoga or walk on the beach or take a bath or get a massage from your you know, from your honey or have some tea or something to relax yourself and de-stress yourself. Maybe you need to talk out your problems with somebody else um, or get get some therapy or, you know, something like that. Have some kind of strategy other than the ice cream. Um, And then the other thing is to realize that we are largely, we think of ourselves as like we're this independent, self-sufficient islands but actually we are a part of a huge network of interconnected you know, beings and environment. So if we are largely a product of our environment, including the people around us, 
we have to realize that that environment actually caused us to do that, uh, to go to the store. And we, again, we often blame ourselves like we're this independent island, but actually we're not. Uh, and there's, there's, we were raised to be a certain way, and you know, we can blame our parents, blame everybody else, but it's just to understand how we get, came to this point. We have other people in our lives that are influencing us, that maybe caused us stress, that maybe um, encouraged us to, to drink when we went out or smoke with, with them. Um, and so we can see how our environment caused us to get to this point. And then we can start to become the architect of that environment going forward. How can we change our environment so that it, we are less likely to have the ice cream next time? There's a lot of ways to structure that, but uh, social being a big one, um, having other people help you and support you, hold you accountable, um, and stop you from doing things or be your support when you need it. Um, those are all huge things. So yeah, I would start to be a, the architect of your environment going forward. Leo, those are those are some awesome strategies. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to know a little bit more about your story when you okay you decided to quit smoking and start running sure. and uh, start writing about these things. Did you? What were your resources? Did you formally start to study Zen or meditation or Buddhism or in that direction? Or who mm -hmm. were some of your mentors? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious more once you got to uh, kind of mid-level on this stuff because you've developed some amazing strategies as we can all hear. So I'm curious more about your story, how your evolution went. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like I said, we're all interconnected. So I, I've been influenced by literally thousands of people. Um, but some of my biggest ones, there's always ones that are more influential. Um, so I have a friend and she, uh, she, at one time she was the president of the San Francisco Zen Center um, and she's a Zen priest. And so I met her just at a random uh, event where we were both kind of talking on a panel and she became a great friend and then a, my teacher. So I consider her a huge influence on me. Uh, she hasn't written any books though. Uh, so uh, she comes from the lineage of uh, Suzuki Roshi, which who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And he, that was the first book that I ever read on Zen. I highly recommend it. It's not necessarily the easiest to understand, but um, great book. And then um, her teacher is a guy named Reb Anderson. And um, his, he's such an amazing, wise person. I consider him to be my teacher, too. I've, I've sat with him a couple times, but uh, um, he's not formally my teacher or anything. And then um, there's another writer, uh, Buddhist writer. Her name is Pema Chodron. You might be familiar with her. Yes, uh, yes. She's pretty popular. Yeah. I consider her teacher, too, even though I've never met her. She's so profoundly influenced me. Um, I steal stuff from her all the time on uncertainty <laughs> and groundlessness. Um, yeah, so she's she's incredible. Um, I know early on Thich Nhat Hanh was another big influence for me in the Dalai Lama. Um, just reading their stuff sure. yeah, changed my life. And um, that's yeah, I, those would be more in the like mindfulness areas. Uh, in terms of habits, um, I've read. A lot of different people um, from, you know, and, but some of the stuff I had already been writing about, so there's a lot of overlap between me and others. But Charles Duhigg, uh, The Power of Habits is good. There's a blogger named James Clear 
who is amazing. Uh, my friend Tynan, Tynan.com, uh, another amazing writer in habits and productivity. Um, another guy who started along with me, um, his name is Scott Young. He was a, is a blogger on, on habits as well. Um, Gretchen Rubin is another amazing person. Another person I really uh, consider a good friend and uh, influence on me is Jonathan Fields, who does a thing called uh, Good Life Project. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, man, there's so many. Wow, this, this is an amazing bunch of resources. Yeah. <laughs> if this you have is... an online business, I highly recommend a friend of mine named uh, uh, Corbett Barr, who has a, a site called fizzle.com uh, for online entrepreneurs. He's amazing. Uh, Live Your Legend is another site, uh, who, which was run by a, a friend of mine named Scott Dinsmore, who passed away a couple of years ago. Wow, and yeah, now, I remember that. Yeah, it's now been taken over by his wife, Chelsea, who is an amazing human being. Um, so I highly rec- recommend Live Your Legend. Um, I, I, a lot of those were things that I helped influence, and then they influenced me in return. So it's, it's hard to, to um, categorize influence, but... <laughs> you know, it's like I said, it's interconnected. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm curious if people out there uh, are listening to this and they want to get more involved or, or they want to go continue down their path uh, in mindfulness and um, let, I'm curious resources that they can do so uh, they have a... Uh, a group of people, a community that they can interact with, uh, that they can be interconnected with. And mm-hmm. if you could, maybe if you could give a couple of options from anything like looking up your, uh, your local Buddhist, uh, meetup or, or, uh, you know, on Saturdays, uh, the name is escaping me, the Asanga, for example, right? Sure. This is a, yes. the name for a, a uh, yeah. Buddhist meeting, basically, or study group. Community. Uh, or yeah, group, community. Yeah. So there there could be that option. Uh, but, you know, some people might think, oh, that sounds a little too intense for me. I'm a little intimidated <laughs> by that. I don't necessarily want to get go and formally study uh, Zen, for example. What are some other options where people could, could go? And I, I've... I've uh, been to plenty of Buddhist events and I, I think I've gotten immense value and I highly recommend anybody, but don't think that it has to be secular. And by sure. the way, the nice thing about uh, Buddhism is that one of the first things that they, they ask you to do is to question everything, which is, yeah. which is amazing. It's not like the, uh, uh, not to name, not to name any any religions, but my way or the highway or my way or you're getting kicked out kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's it's open to interpretation. So, uh, of course, yes, Leo, there are secular ideas uh, which sure. people can Google in their local communities. But what else uh, might be out there? Yeah. Um, well, I if you want to get into mindfulness, and I, I highly recommend it because it's for me, it's the habit that actually helped me to change all the other habits. I mentioned how I dealt with urges with uh, meditation. So I, I highly recommend it. Uh, but you don't have to become a Buddhist or you know, a card-carrying Buddhist or subscribe to all the Buddhist ideas to um, to start meditating. There's definitely non-religious uh, ways of meditating. There's a, um, there's a couple of 
uh, ones you can look up online, uh, mindfulness-based uh, therapy, uh, stress, stressed therapy, um, or stress relief. Um, that's just totally non-Buddhist. But there, there are Buddhist um, communities that where you can just go and just learn the technique, and you don't have to get into all of the religious aspects and yeah, just ignore any chanting that they do. <laughs> you know, that's like totally uh, not a requirement. You can just go and just learn how to meditate. And I highly recommend that. Uh, Zen, uh, there are Zen centers all over the U.S. and, and around the world, of course. Um, I, I do recommend that. You can, it, uh, it can be uh, off-putting when you first go in to meditate. So I highly recommend going to one of their intro classes where they just teach you about Zazen, which is their method of sitting. Um, just go and, and you don't have to be anything when you go. You don't have to know anything. They just teach you right from the beginning. And it's basically just sitting and paying attention to your breath. And it's such a simple meditation that anyone can do it. And you can do it at home. You don't need to do it at a Zen center. Um, there are actually actually plenty of online resources for that as well. But sitting with other people is, is an amazing thing. So you might find a group that sits like once a week and just go and sit with them. And, um, and they're very non-judgmental, so they don't care if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, but beyond Zen, there's um, Pema comes from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and there's plenty of those um, all over the U.S. and around the world as well. Highly recommend you check that out too, if if uh, that t might turn out to be your flavor. And then um, Vipassana is another very popular um, style of meditation, um, and I there's a one here in the Bay Area called Spirit Rock that I've been to and. They do an amazing job of teaching meditation. I, I highly recommend you check out a Vipassana. But just like, don't do the whole uh, seven-day retreat one to start off with. Just do an intro class where you go for a weekend and uh, and just learn how to meditate in their style. And it's very, very non-secular, like just total, um, this is the technique, right? And um, it'll help you in all areas of your life, I promise you. No, that, yeah, that's... So and there's plenty of plenty of online resources as well. Yeah, sure. No, those, those are those are all great resources, and and thank you for listening, uh, listing those off. Um, I've been interested, actually. I have a question, more of a personal question for you, or, or it's personal for me. Um, so I practice more of a mindfulness uh, meditation, more of a transcendental meditation. Yeah. I'm. I'm self-taught personally and i've listened to lots of different people and and uh heard about lots of different strategies and just kind of developed what what seems to work for me um yeah and but i'm curious i've wanted to go to a retreat and even i'm i think a you know eight day vipassana retreat or whatever might be a, a lot uh for me just to take off all that for sure. time uh, but just go for a, a weekend or a long weekend would be would be amazing um yeah but because i'm self-taught i don't know where to go because as i understand in a vipassana retreat they teach you their way and you kind of have to do their way and that's what you that's kind of the point of the retreat as i under, mm. as i understand uh is that sure. true or do you have any advice for me uh, well first of all i yeah for for most people who haven't been to um any kind of uh longer sittings i definitely recommend like a one or two day uh sitting somewhere or meditation retreat um and there's again plenty of uh different types of that 
Um, but yeah, if you go to a Vipassana one, they'll teach you their style. But honestly, when you're sitting there um, <laughs> in meditation, no one knows what the hell you're doing. <laughs> right. So this is your domain, and I, I highly recommend following what feels right to you. But that said, Vipassana is a great uh, technique, and if you're used to one style of meditation and you don't, uh, you feel some resistance to doing their style, I do recommend, and I'm not just talking to you, Matt, but just to anyone listening, just opening yourself up to their style. And that can be a great uh, practice is just uh, letting go of that resistance and just trying something new with fresh, you know, beginner's mind um, and just seeing what that's like. And I think, honestly, for me, I... I um, started with the Zen style, but I've tried, you know, Pema's style. I've tried uh, Vipassana. I haven't really tried uh, trans transcendental, but I've always wanted to. Uh, I've tried, you know, yoga, you know, breathing kind of meditations. Um, I'm not an expert at any of them, but opening myself up to all of those different styles, I think, has been a great practice for me to just say, hey, I don't have all the answers, and I would love to just see what this is like. And every single one that I've tried, from different breathing ones to mantras, you know, they they all have had some benefit to me, and I, I I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to. And for a lot of people, you know, Buddhism seems like this uh, like weird thing, right? Like uh, they chant, they have weird a whole all very foreign, right? And that there's a resistance to something strange like that. That's a discomfort and an uncertainty that comes up for us the point of meditation or at least one of the points of it is opening yourself up to that resistance and that uncertainty that discomfort and that strangeness and just saying hey i'm going to let go of my uh, hard-held beliefs and just see what this is like be curious and open and i think if we learn to do that it translates so well in in all areas of our lives we can just open up to and be curious to all kinds of experiences that we normally get frustrated by or angry with, all of a sudden we're opening it up and letting go instead of resisting and getting mad about or frustrated with. And so that's, yeah, I mean, to me, just the process of going to one of these strange things, they're not that strange once you get there, but it might seem strange. Opening yourself up to that is a practice that you can then do in all areas of your life and uh, for me it's been one of the best things that i've done that that's that's great leo and I, I love that you said that the people there you know the core fundamental reason that they're there is to practice non-judgment and so exactly. they're not going to judge you or they're not supposed <laughs> to be anyway uh, but could, do you think you could elaborate a little bit more on just the everyday uh the, let's say habit of non-judgment uh, for example today i was in the car with a friend uh, i was the third the third wheel in the car and a, a friend was having a really hard time and it's not someone who i know well um but yeah. having just a really hard time just very stressed i was having quite a bit of anxiety it seemed and um i was kind of wondering uh why is this person behaving this way or why is what this person is upset about such a big deal to to them but uh, you know of course i was i was watching my thoughts i was trying not to judge but it was it was difficult you know not to not to judge 
but could you walk uh, the listeners through how they can uh, maybe not judge so much or be able to catch themselves while while they're having that self-talk and like when I I could have been like oh, will you please just chill out seriously <laughs> but I'm I'm not them I'm not in their shoes I haven't gone through what they've gone through to make uh, their brain function or their mind function in that way and could yeah. you talk a little bit more about non-judgment for the audience please Leo sure and uh, I, I want to acknowledge how amazing it is that you were actually watching yourself do that and and trying to not hold on to that judgment which is an amazing uh, skill that I think most people don't have. So that's, that's so great that you're setting that example for us. Um, but yeah, first of all, we all judge. There is not a single person who does it. Right. Um, you know, whether it's another person and how they're acting or, you know, just saying, Oh, this person is too superficial or this person is too stupid or too, um, whatever, you know, like we have, we, we just as humans have this mental tendency to just judge someone, categorize them. This person's a hick. This person is too uppity. This person's, you know, like we have uh, so many ways of judging people. And even someone who is so like us, we might judge them for for things that we are, you know. They're, they think they're so smart, you know, like, well, maybe that's what I think about myself. Yes, the mirror. Um, yeah. So there's, we all do it. And I also want to point out, uh, it's good to consider how it hurts us. Why, it is, why is judge, being judgmental a bad thing? Um, it hurts us because, first of all, it hurts us personally when we judge someone else, and that makes us not like them. And there's this feeling, this negative feeling towards this person that we are experiencing. It's like we're swimming in this little pool of negativity, that's not a happy place to be in. No. Um, so we're, we're not only are we in this pool of negativity, um, but we're like unhappy about this person and wishing they were different and uh, and not liking them, and that is not really the kind of person that we want to be. It's just the judgmental person who is just not liking everything around them, and and it's not just people that we judge. We judge situations and you know world conflicts and uh, the president. And, you know, like uh, racism and all these other things, we judge all of these things and we say, well, I'm right to judge these things because those are wrong. And that's a, such a certainty that we grasp onto, uh, but it makes us feel so bad about the world. Um, and so that's a negative thing, but it also closes our heart down to other people. So if I had, like, for example, one person I, I will admit to judging very harshly is Donald Trump. And I don't mean to bring this, make this a political thing. No, <laughs> I could, but <laughs> I could feel my heart close to him and his supporters. And what a sad thing that is that I have allowed my heart to close to these other human beings who are suffering just like I am, who have a tender heart just like I do, who just want to be loved and be happy just like I do. And I've closed my heart to them because I've judged them. And I think that's something that we all do. They've done, done the same for me. Um, and I might judge them for doing that. And yet I'm doing the same thing. And how human is that, that to judge someone else for doing what you just, you're doing as well? Um, so that I think the point that I'm trying to make is that we close our heart off to other human beings. And that is a huge cost to us, to our relationships when I close my heart to my kids because I judge them for not cleaning up their messes 
or judge my I close my heart to my wife because I judge her for being a certain way, or I judge my uh, close my heart off to my friends because I think they're too whatever. Um, that's such a huge cost to us as human beings to, to not have that connection and love um, that we all really crave. We really crave connection and love, and yet we close ourselves off because of this judgment. So anyway, you wanted to know the nuts and bolts, though, right? Sure. Uh, so <laughs> I got off onto a tangent there. No, no, that's okay. And and I might have a follow-up question just sure. about that opening up uh, your heart and, and maybe helping define that for people because it can be a very, uh, uh, you know, Air, for lack of a better term, an airy fairy term that you don't really know what it really means, and we can really yeah. we can dig into the science of of what that means. Uh, but yes, please okay. uh, go ahead. I would love to. Yeah. So um, the so the first thing is something you you already set an example for us is just noticing that you're judging, and I actually went through a period where I I just try to catch myself through the throughout the day just noticing that I'm judging people um, or situations or myself. And we, and what you find is you're actually doing it throughout the day. And what, what happens is we, um, and what it turns out to be is that we have this tendency to just evaluate everything about our experience. So I'm, I'm procrastinating. Okay. Is that a good or bad? Well, I'm going to say it's bad. Right. And then sure. I judge myself for doing that. Um, or I just did yoga okay, I, I evaluate that as good. Oh, I'm worthy of love and, and uh, of being accepted as a human being now because of that, right? So we're constantly evaluating our own actions and then actions of everybody else and the, the way that other people are. And then just certain situations, we're constantly evaluating good or bad, good or bad. And again, this has a cost. So just noticing how often you're evaluating everything, good or bad, good or bad, um, is a really good thing to do, and that's a it's a, actually a form of meditation. It's just noticing your mental habit of evaluating and judging, um, and it's not just the bad judgments. When I say this is good, it's like I I want to cling to that and have more of it, and not and just kind of greedily get more of that good stuff into my life, um, and that's that's a less obvious. Um, harmful thing but it, it is a harmful thing is is judging things as good also um so anyway noticing 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 and then what you have to do and this is a really difficult thing is to catch yourself at that moment like you did and stop yourself and say i know that this habit of judging or evaluating is harmful to me and i want to stop doing that as a loving act is just let go of that and just not waste my time closing my heart, judging people, and being negative. Um, and instead, I want to do something else. What is the loving act that you would like to do instead of evaluating and judging and being negative? It could be, like you you, meant, you asked uh, about, is just opening your heart to this person and just trying to not judgmentally see them with this open heart and, and just see their good heart inside. Every action... Um, has a good heart in the middle of it if we can just take the time to try and understand that. And even, you know, again, if I judge Donald Trump for being uh, racist against Muslims and closing, you know, closing them off, I might say, well, what is his good-hearted intention in the middle of, of what I consider a racist thing, right? 
And I can say, well, there's fear and anger at the middle of that. Well, how is fear and anger good-hearted? Well, I, first of all, I know what fear and anger feels like. I, feel, I experience it every day. Uh, so I can connect with him at that level. But I can also see that underneath fear is actually love. It's a tender heart that doesn't want to be hurt, that wants to protect itself. And so in the middle of his fear of losing the country to, to other people and, and, and being attacked by terrorists and, and, all of the, and losing jobs and all of these other things, in the middle of his fear of that is actually the tender heart that just wants to be loved, that is scared of being hurt, of being judged, of not being connected, of not being accepted. I know what that feels like because my heart is exactly the same. <laughs> and so opening my heart to Donald um, is the loving act that I want to do instead of evaluating him good or bad, just connecting to that. And if I can do that with every single human being, including, like I said, my kids and my wife, my friends and strangers, people who I normally would judge and close my heart to, if I can do that, all of a sudden I have, I'm work, walking through the world with an open heart that allows me to connect with people at a vulnerable level that we normally don't do. We normally shut down out of defense um, and don't allow ourselves to connect at a deeper level with people. And that is harmful to us. That gives us loneliness. That gives us, makes us run to distraction and, and comfort and doesn't give us that human connection that we deeply crave. So wow. that's my answer to you. No, that, that's excellent. And you were really able to address what it means to open up your heart. And people can, uh, can understand a little bit more that okay because of how well someone like donald trump or or my friend in the car or whomever they mm -hmm. grew up in a certain way under a certain set of belief systems under certain societal conditioning and that's right. just how they grew up and it's not particularly their fault although we may want to uh, push anger onto them. It's not necessarily right. their fault. And uh, placing blame on people doesn't doesn't really help the situation. And uh, I, yeah, I'm so yeah. glad that you, you dug into that. I wanted to mention um, that uh, there are several exercises that you can do, Leo. I'm, I'm sure that you've done uh, certain heart-based meditations where yes. uh, like Pema, for example, uh, someone who you mentioned earlier who's mm -hmm. written some books, she has a really good one where you just, uh, you you might think of three people and focus literally focus your attention on your heart and yes. uh, mentally think of sending them love and it can be a person who yes. you like and it can be a person i think <laughs> pretty sure she makes you do someone and and give love or forgiveness forgiveness to someone who you might not like so much right. and uh that's and with yourself as well yeah uh, yes the, and with yourself i think that that's probably her third uh, one that she does in, in that particular well, meditation that I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, and she might've, uh, the one you saw might've been a simplified version, but the traditional one is a loving kindness, uh, compa or compassion meditation or meta Maitri is what she calls it. Um, they're, they're all basically the same, like you said, heart opening exercises, but a, a lot, but traditionally you would start with yourself and then with someone who you love, like it's very easy to love them and then just like a good friend 
and then like a neighbor, someone you don't know that well, uh, someone who you feel kind of neutral about, and then, uh, yeah, someone who you have some uh, difficulty with. And then an, an additional one is just kind of opening yourself up to even the whole world, just, you know, wishing everybody love and an end to their suffering. Um, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. That's an amazing practice, Matt. Thank you. Yes, and that uh, that loving kindness, that's the one that I've I've done before. I have one of her books, and my girlfriend yeah. practices it and during her, her yoga classes that she teaches um and then you can get yeah and then you can get more scientific about it i've done a good amount of heart rate variability training and there's a uh, institute called the heart math institute and they've measured uh, that okay your heart is actually a magnet and when you focus uh, on your heart and you think of uh, amazing positive things like i think of my my two uh, four-year-old twin nieces, right? I think of them during this meditation and I think, yeah. of, okay. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I think of sending them love and, and something that uh, I'm very passionate about. And you can, you're hooked up to this uh, app and, you know, the sensor is like $100 on, on Amazon. And on this app, you can then see the changes in your uh, the time between your heartbeats uh, wow. fluctuating um, and in this heart rate variability training. So you can put some hard science behind it. So I wanted to put those two resources out there for That's people. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an amazing world that we live in, isn't it? Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention, if for people who um, haven't read Pema's stuff, and all of her stuff is amazing, uh, the place to start is usually uh, When Things Fall Apart. Ah, um, that's okay. her most famous book and it contains like the best of her wisdom. Uh, and I highly recommend it to everyone being on earth. <laughs> okay. No, that, that sounds awesome. I have not. Yeah. Uh... When things fall apart, um, subtitle is hard advice for difficult times. Yeah. It's her, basically her seminal work, but there's all of it's great. All of it, all of it. Beautiful, beautiful. She's got some great audiobooks as well. Yeah, Leah, uh, Leo, so I wanted to, I, I know we need to wrap up here pretty soon, but I did want to go back to a um, something that's a, an advanced topic, I think, because right. it's pretty hard to, to grasp, is you mentioned earlier that you don't want to get attached to uh, thinking too positively sometimes mm. you know so so don't judge good or bad uh mm. and it was a very buddhist thing of you to <laughs> to say but could you explain that to people because so many people out there myself included love to get addicted to that positivity love to open up norman vincent peel's power of, of positive course. thinking and say well let's ride that momentum let's feel good about ourselves every day could you talk about the the dangers in that yeah i i love where you take um, this conversation, it, it speaks a lot about you that you've, you're asking these questions. Oh, so thank you, amazing. Leo. I appreciate that. Yeah. So first of all, I don't, I'm not actually against positive thinking. I'm a very positive thinker myself. Um, and so if you're a, a super positive thinker, I think you're better off than like 99% of the people out there. So sure. that's, that's great. Like I'm not, not, naysaying positivity i'm not being negative about positivity <laughs> but uh it is interesting to once you um get into meditation and working with the you know judgmental uh thoughts things like that 
is just to see the tendency of the mind to, again, to evaluate everything, what, what we do, what other people do, and say, okay, well, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. And uh, what, what we tend to do, and this is a very, uh, like you said, a very Buddhist belief, is the bad things we try, we try and push away, get away from, um, and that is a form of suffering because you can't always get away from all bad things in your life, right? Um, if, you're, if you want to get away from people who are irritating, basically you're going to shut yourself off from all people. <laughs> sure. If you want to get away from anything uncomfortable, you're never going to do anything. Uh, and eventually you're going to find discomfort because you've been only stuck in your comfort zone. And that leads to like being overweight and um, procrastinating too much and not paying your bills and all these uncomfortable things that you've been putting off because you don't like discomfort. Eventually discomfort is going to catch up with you. So um, pushing into discomfort is a necessity. And when we push away things that we don't like, which is discomfort, we um, actually suffer because of it, either suffer as a result of running away from the discomfort or suffer because we can't avoid the discomfort and we don't like being in it. So that's one thing is when something, when we judge something as bad, we try and get away from it and that's going to bring about suffering of some kind. But the, the hard thing to see is when we evaluate something as good and say, I really like having these conversations with Matt. They're like one of the best things about my life. Um, if we see that as good, we try and cling to it. Um, and that then brings another form of suffering. Um, and it's uh, what Buddhists call greed. And that's a very negative word uh, in our language, but it doesn't really mean uh, like you're a greedy person. It just means that we our heart open. I mean, our heart starts to attach in a greedy way to things that we think is good are good. And Facebook actually is an example of that. The reason why we're so attached to Facebook is because we judge as good the feeling that we get when we we get messages from Facebook or learn something cool or see a funny video or whatever. We evaluate that without thinking about it. We evaluate it as good and we we cling to that and we want more of it. So we're greedily getting more of it. And if it's, you know, if we're, if we're, we love podcasts, which are an amazing thing, maybe we want more podcasts and more podcasts. <laughs> and, um, and the problem with that, and, you know, of course, your life is going to be great filled with podcasts. But the problem with that is what do you do when you can't have more of it? Um, or when ha getting more and more of it becomes an obsession. Uh, when you can't have more podcasts, maybe you don't have time because you have to work and you have other commitments. And all of a sudden you're like, you are heartbroken or there's some pain in your heart because you can't have enough podcasts, right? Or maybe it's, you, you think, you know, like artisan pizza or artisan coffee is the most amazing thing in the world. And then you can't get, get more of it because, um, you know, there's only, you only have so, so much money or it's causing you to be overweight or something, right? Right. Um, so there's always a, a limit to how much of a good thing that we can have. And when we want more and more of it because we've judged it as good, it, be, it uh, we can't, we, we run up against a limit or um, because we have so we're, we're trying to get so much of it, we become obsessed and that becomes another form of suffering or it becomes like it fills up our life lives with, um, you know, like if you get, it, we've all been through a time when we were like obsessed with something, whether it's like a video game or, whatever right like there's something that we're obsessed with and um 
for me, for at one point it was chess. I really wanted to like get good at chess, and I, I never did. I got obsessed with it, and I bought all these books, and that evaluation of it as good made me want more and more of it until I it filled up my life and was honestly I think it was wasting my life. Um, so there's all kinds of suffering that can come from this feeling of greed for the things that we judge as good. So the, that doesn't mean we can't be positive about our experiences. And actually in, in Buddhism, um, being grateful is a good thing. They, you know, they think, okay, finding gratitude for what you see in this moment, including the negative stuff, but finding right. gratitude is, is actually a helpful thing. And when I say good thing, I, I mean it's, it's more helpful, it's beneficial. Um, so it's not good to label, it's not good, <laughs> using that word again, not good to label things as good or bad, but it's more, um, are they, do they tend to be harmful to me or helpful to me um, or beneficial, right? So it is beneficial to, uh, to be grateful, to find gratitude in your life. Um, but it's when you think, um, when you are clinging to things that you judge as good, then that can be harmful. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've been someone who has seen the world through rose-colored glasses for so long <laughs> and always think that, uh, you know, this is something that I've worked on, of course, but it's easily to be, say, blinded by your own success or uh, sure. think your way, think so positive all the time that you don't see things for how they really are and that can be yeah. a uh, that can be a hindrance in business especially in in decision making or what really hit home for me is when you said yes uh, it does not help to push away all of the quote-unquote negative in your life and just get attached to the positive and absolutely as someone who has traveled all over the world for the last five years and lives in Costa Rica I got here to Austin Texas and I can't stop thinking all right when are people going to stop talking about traffic and tacos can we have a real conversation <laughs> about something these days and it you know I can't live in my own little bubble forever or I can but that's yeah. not going to make me a a stronger person, you know, I'm going to create my own little utopia and stay there, maybe, but that, that that's yeah. not going to help people around me because I would be in the jungle by myself, <laughs> like I spend Absolutely. a lot of time, you know, you know? I have a friend um, who, who, that what you're talking about reminds me of him and, and myself, but, so my friend, he doesn't like the Buddhist idea of suffering, he's like, well, that's why the, all the obsession with the negativity, right? So he's very much of a positive thinker. And he's a great guy, but he's, uh, he doesn't like to think about negative things. And every time I, I bring up, oh, you were frustrated with that, and he's like, oh, but it taught me this, and actually it was good because of this. And he only sees the positive side, the rose-colored glasses, like you were saying. And what that means is he constantly is trying to avoid thinking about negative stuff. And he doesn't realize it. And so he doesn't really see a problem with that mental tendency. But the problem with that is that you can't just sit in the middle of a negative experience and just be there with it. Um, and one of the things that uh, actually one of the books that Pema has written, um, it, the title of it is Comfortable with Uncertainty. And there's comfortable also with discomfort. 
so if you can just sit in the middle of negativity, even your own negative feelings or someone else's negativity, um, maybe it's your negative feelings about people talking about traffic and tacos, right? Sure. Like, you're, like you might be feeling some resentment or uh, irritation. And so as you feel that, instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to think about that, um, just pushing it up, sweeping it under the rug, instead just sit there in the middle of that. And it, it actually takes away a lot of the power of those thoughts. If you can just sit there and say, oh, actually this is not, like instead of stewing in the negativity, just allow yourself to be in the middle of it and say, hey, actually this feeling of negativity is not so bad. I can, you know, I can weather this, this slight uh, storm, right? Sure. And then, then you're not afraid of being in the middle of negativity or d discomfort or uncomfortable situations or uncertainty. And once you do that, then you become like the master of life because you can sit in the middle of anything, uh, any kind of difficulty, any kind of grief, any kind of pain, and you don't have to turn it into a positive situation. Um, and I think that actually deepens your ability to connect with people at a um, vulnerable level because you can share your discomfort and all of your struggles and pain uh, where people can connect with that instead of saying, oh, well, my life is amazing and there's no, nothing bad about it. People can't really connect with you at that level. They're like, oh, my life is great too, but then you're not really getting deep with anybody. Um, so actually, I think being able to sit in the middle of discomfort, uncertainty, and pain um, and negativity allows you greater freedom um, in life, including uh, connecting with people. That's, that's great, Leo. I had not thought of it that way, especially the compassion aspect. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, yeah, thanks for allowing me to talk about it. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, Leo, this has been a, a heck of a conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a pleasure for me to actually get to speak with the you know someone who I've I've read so much uh, of what you've written, and uh, it's helped me so much along the way. So uh, of course I wanted to to say thank you, and uh, that I'm very grateful. And and on behalf of everyone listening, we we really appreciate it. And I was just wondering if there was anywhere else uh, that people might be able to learn more about you uh, and your work. Sure. I know you have Zen Habits. Dot net, uh, and yep. I know that you're working on something called Habit Mastery. Uh, if you want to talk right. about that, you're more than welcome. I mean, these are, the, these are all habits that uh, it would be just amazing if we could all go out and master. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, let it let it rip, Leo. Let, let us know what you're working on because uh, we'd love to follow sure. along. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, Zen, first of all, um, I am actually grateful for the opportunity to talk about the stuff that I'm passionate about. So thank you for giving me the time and space to do that. Uh, it's been an honor to be on here. Um, but uh, to answer your question, zenhabits.net is my blog. Um, subscribe to that and you get like one or two uh, emails a week uh, with my, my articles. And then uh, I also have a program called Sea Change, which is a monthly membership program, $15 a month, where we work on... Uh, different habits and there's a whole bunch of courses on there um, on different habits including mindfulness and meditation but yeah I'm coming out with a new program um, and by the time people listen to this it might actually already be out but it's called habit mastery and it's a video course 12 weeks and um, we're gonna go take you from one level of mastery to another so if you're a beginner you go to intermediate 
intermediate to advanced, and advanced will take you to like absolute habit guru. <laughs> but um, beyond that, actually, I'm excited uh, to. I'm actually starting to do more live stuff. I did a retreat in Costa Rica last year where I was a presenter, and I connected with people at a vulnerable level. Um, and it was such a powerful experience for me that I decided I need to do more of those. So I did a retreat in San Francisco this past April. I'm going to do more retreats. Like I think I'm going to do one in Costa Rica and Tulum and Bali. But nice. I'm also going to – yeah. So I think that's going to be amazing, uh, like you know, four or five-day retreats. And then I also want to go to people's cities all over the world and do one- or two-day workshops on different things from mindfulness to compassion to uncertainty and discomfort and habits, but also productivity and dealing with anxiety and uh, all these difficult things. So I'm going to take my show on the road and meet with people in person and do these workshops. And I'm excited about that. So I look forward to that as well. Leo, you ought to. It would be a, a pleasure to meet you in person sometime. And uh, be amazing. yeah, and, and learn more. Let me know if you're if you're ever down in in Costa Rica. I would uh, yeah, I would love to come hang out. Yeah, we can do some yoga and meditate together, and you can teach me how to surf. Cool, cool. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a plan, Leo. I'm gonna end our uh, our recording uh, right here. But yeah, thank you again. Uh, I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. Thank you. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that past episode. If you are looking to put these things into practice, I invite you to come next July to Peru and Machu Picchu with me and my girlfriend, Luz Garcia, a 1500 hour registered yoga teacher for an amazing retreat that we are putting on. If you would like more information, check out under30experiences.com and find Yoga and Peru. Uh, we would love to connect with you further. We have some amazing community events coming up on under30experiences.com. And no, uh, you don't just have to be under 30 years of age. We are an inclusive community rather than an exclusive co community. And finally... If you are on the same mission as I am, I would love if you shared this episode with a friend, a friend who needs it. If you can support uh, this podcast, that would mean a whole lot to me. Share it, subscribe, leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I would love if you even did it just a little justice and give it a like on our new YouTube channel. Those type of things go a long way in helping other people find great content that is going to help them live happier, healthier lives. So thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me. Give me some feedback, matt at under30experiences.com or hit me up on social media, Matt Wilson TV on just about any social platform. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.